millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and I'm now going to give you the situation. It is the summer of 1940. The British Expeditionary Force has been evacuated from northern France and Belgium at places like Dunkirk. We have the total collapse of the French army, and Hitler has basically won the European war in the West. Britain is now under threat, not just from potential invasion, but also via the Luftwaffe aerial bombardment. The Battle of Britain rages throughout this summer. There is such political turmoil that there is the collapse of one government and we get a new Prime Minister with Winston Churchill. This is about as grim as it gets in Britain. Things are desperate. They end up asking for young and old men to volunteer for some kind of defense force to protect themselves from the almost inevitable invasion by Axis forces. And with that in mind, you would think that that's about as serious as it gets, and yet it's the foundation cornerstone of the most beloved comedy in British history. This time round, I'm talking about Dad's Army. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think we're on the run? We are the boys who will stop your little game. We are the boys who will make you think again. Cause who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Now, if you're American or from another country, you probably have never even heard of Dad's Army. And I'm hoping that at this point, Greg puts in a little bit of the theme tune, which is a pretty good indicator of that kind of British bulldog spirit in World War II. Mr. Brown goes off to town on the A21, but he comes home each evening and he's ready with his gun. Now, the thing is, everything about this is kind of historically wrong uh, or a bit of an illusion. There's some strange trickery and sleight of hand going on with this. But 
Dad's Army, which was a colossally popular TV show that actually ran originally from 1968 to 1977, was so popular that even when I was a kid, I was watching the repeats on TV. Everybody would sit down and watch Dad's Army. It was one of those kind of comedies which appealed to everybody. For the older generation, they could see the fun of the war years that they would remember. So that would be like my grand... Not that any of my grandparents were British, but the point is, if you were in Britain in, let's say, 1977, the grandparents, they remembered the war, and they would have remembered sort of elements like rationing and blackout blinds and things like that. For the parents, it's just a, a nice, well-written comedy. And for the kids, there's just nothing there that's particularly edgy. And so Dad's Army using a modern term, was a four-quadrant property. Everybody, young, old, etc., everybody rallied around this program. And this program was created by two comedy writing geniuses. They were Jim Perry and David Croft. Those two people were to go on and create, in essence, an inadvertent trilogy of World War II comedies that kept us laughing from the 1960s into basically the 1990s. It sort of like took a whole generation through and, and recontextualized the war as being certainly a lot more fun than it actually was. Those three are, as I've just said, Dad's Army, that was 68 to 77, and there was a crossover with the next one. This is the largely forgotten one. This is the most problematic one. It ate half hot mum. So that ran from 74 to 81. So again, it had a really long life cycle. Why is this one problematic? Because this one covers the forgotten part of World War II, which was the Pacific conflict. And, you know, when we talk about World War II, there's been quite rightly, since the fall of the Iron Curtain, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union, there's been a lot of research in the West about exactly how huge, almost sort of apocalyptic, the battle on the Eastern Front was. But this is the Eastern Front from the perspective of the West or Germany. There is obviously a whole other theatre of operations out in the Pacific, which just never gets as much love. There aren't as many movies or TV shows or documentaries about the Pacific. And yet, man for man, it was a bloodier battle than actually what was happening in the West. And so it's about, it ain't half hot mum. I think you can guess it's obviously in a hot regime. And it's about a bunch of actors who are actually part of the British forces. And this happened in all forces in World War II. So they're soldiers, but their job isn't to fight on the front lines. Their job is to actually entertain troops, which is literally the song they sing at the beginning of every episode. Meet the game, cause the boys are here. The boys to entertain you. So... It, it, you know, that's the basic setup, and there's, in every one of these, there's like, you know, sort of certain pushing around of class, or indeed ranks, and in this particular one, there was a wonderfully aggressive sergeant who clearly wanted to be with frontline troops. He wanted to be a proper soldier, and he was having to deal with these idiot actors. So far, nothing I've said is offensive, until we get to the fact that this is happening in Burma, or so like the borders of India, and therefore it has two Indian actors in it. 
and they are playing the sort of like the charwallers, the kind of sort of like the, the guys running around, in essence being servants really, they're sort of like just helping out in the camps, and pretty racist stereotypes. Every episode finishes with one of them singing in heavily accented English, Land of Hope of Glory, and then the Sergeant Major shouts, shut up at them. Now, as racism goes, this isn't by any stretch of the imagination the worst thing. And what's really complicated about It Ain't Half Hot Mum is actually it was a big hit with the British Asian community. Because from their perspective, the only brown faces they were seeing on TV was in this TV show. So actually, they quite liked it. But no doubt about it, this is a racial stereotype and doesn't play well, and is why It Ain't Half Hot Mum basically isn't on TV anymore. If you can find it somewhere, good luck to you. It's not trying to be racist, but it's one of these classic examples of this is just ignorance, and it's playing into stereotypes, and that's not a good look. So let's move on from that. And then the last one, which was actually done by David Cross himself until the two of them went off and did some other projects, is A Lower Low. Now, a lower low was the one I remembered the most, and I've described what Dad's Army basically is. This is obviously the defense forces during the era of potential invasion in Britain. Then we've got a, a basically a troop of actors in the Pacific Theater in World War II, and then a lower low is about occupied France, and we got René. Every single person in this show is English, okay, or British, I should say, British. And you've got René, and he is, basically he runs a little bar, but he's also sort of helping the resistance reluctantly. He's got a really annoying wife who's very much trying to sort of disrupt German activities. René's just trying to have an easy life and also have multiple affairs with the various hot young waitresses. It's, again, just as it ain't half hot mum's problematic, seeing a middle-aged, chubby, balding guy kicking around with some of these young actresses. There's a lot of stockings and suspenders. There's the classic stereotype sort of, it's sort of naughty, but nothing's being shown. There isn't really a lot of flesh on display, but clearly this is sort of uh, lingerie type stuff. It's all done for laughs. And the German, this is the one where you actually have people playing German officers or Herr Flick of the Gestapo. The fun fact that his secretary, I think her name's Helga, she is the aunt of Christopher Nolan. So in that family, for years, she was the biggest person in entertainment. And then her little nephew started making amazing blockbusting movies. Absolutely fantastic. Good on you. And what a family. I also feel obliged, this technically isn't World War II, but this was very much about post-war Britain. They also did Heidi High as well. And also You Rang the Lord, which pretty much took the entire cast of Heidi High and just shoved them into a sort of upstairs-downstairs situation. So if you are British and of a particular age, in, in essence, if you're over 30, I just described all of the comedies you watched when you were a kid. And... Hat off to Jim Perry, Jimmy Perry, I should say, and David Croft. You guys created just a phenomenon of entertainment from the late 1960s all the way into the roughly mid-1990s. That's a hell of a run, particularly if we're talking about comedy, because comedy tends to age. And in particular, in the late 1960s, it was very sort of soft comedy just generally everywhere. But by the 1990s, 
we're into the whole alternative comedy. We've got people like The Rise of Ben Elton and things like The Young Ones coming out, Alexi Sale, etc. And so things were just getting more edgy and sweary, and yet throughout this they were still able to produce that stuff that people could watch at tea time on a Sunday evening and the whole family could sit there and chuckle along. And these things even had a kind of formula to them. It didn't matter if we were talking about Dad's Army or Heidi High or any of these ones. At the end, you'd have the people sort of like turning to camera and uh, you have been watching and then you see the, the person and you now see the actor's name or actress's name rather than the, the character. And so you get to know who they are and you can hear the audience clapping and cheering them as they sort of show their, their mug shots, basically. And weirdly, I'm just going to put this out. I don't know why it's there, okay? Predator is an awesome, amazing movie, and it's a very serious movie. It doesn't have a lot of comedy in it. But then right at the end, after everybody's basically dead apart from Arnie, they then, as they're running the credits, you again, a bit like Aloha Lo or Dad's Army, have these people kind of turning to the camera, winking and smiling, and sort of like grabbing something and chuckling, and it's sort of like, you died horribly half an hour ago. And it's, if you put in different music, you'd think you'd be watching It Ain't Half Hot Mum, because that one also happened in a jungle as well. Boy, have I digress, but it just shows you the powerhouse of these writers. But let's talk about, arguably, The Jewel in the Crown. Because Dad's Army was so big, and unlike some of these other ones, it in the middle of its run, in 1971, it got its own film. And if you think that's impressive, of all of these things that I've just mentioned... In 2016, obviously with completely different actors, they created a new Dad's Army movie. In essence, following the same pattern with the same characters as the original, but in this occasion it was just slightly updated for a more modern audience, but that audience would have grown up with the original anyway. And then what's really interesting is, you know, when this stuff goes back into the 60s, it's a bit like Doctor Who going back into the, the 1960s. The BBC didn't necessarily store all the tapes. So... With Doctor Who and in the case of Dad's Army, there are just missing episodes. We know they were filmed. People remember perhaps watching them. We might even have the scripts. But we never got... The, there is no permanent recording. It's It's been lost forever. So what was fascinating is in 2019, you know, that's not long ago, the three missing episodes were re-recorded, again using modern actors, to basically carry out very good impersonations and, and, and sort of filmed in exactly the same way the original Dad's Armies were. So if you were to watch them all, all 80 plus episodes of the original from beginning to end, you would then sit there and sort of like there'd be a few episodes where everybody looks different, but the sound and style and if you like warmth of it, certainly the writing would be exactly the same, even though by 2019 we're in a whole different world of comedy. So hopefully I've sold you on what a phenomenon it was. But let's let's talk about a, a few of them. So, look, it was an ensemble cast, okay? But if you like, the, the two people that you're going to think of, if you think of Dad's Army, is you're going to think of Captain Mannering and Sergeant Wilson. Captain Mannering, played by Arthur Lowe, just a sort of like rotund, slightly pompous man. The thing about, and I'll go into the details of this, is all these people had day jobs in the real world of Dad's Army, shall we say, okay? In the Home Guard is actually what they were called. He had a day job, but then in the evening he got to wear his captain's uniform and he took his captaining very seriously. It was the classic thing of the working class man who's done good and is now sort of kind of pompous. There's this air of 
circumstance about them. But the great thing about Arthur Lowe is he was always willing to kind of deflate himself and show just sort of how ridiculous Captain Mannering was. And if there's ever an opportunity for him to like fall over or go off screen for him to then slowly raise his head and he was wearing these little wire glasses and always he would have enough time to just whack them off so they're, sort of, they were, they're sitting on his face QF so he looked even more ridiculous. I have huge respect for any comedian who will do anything for a laugh rather than just, hey, I'm going to look cool. It's like, I will do anything to get these people to laugh. Then you are a pure comedian is what I'm going to say about that. And then you got... John Le Mezier, who has, you know, what a name, and he was just sort of the classic silver fox. He was just, he was upper class, com he, although he was the sergeant, he was upper class, whereas Captain Mannering was kind of working class or maybe middle class, done good. And John Le Mezier was always sort of one step ahead of Arthur Lowe, and that's just that dynamic there was wonderful. I also have to do a shout out to Clive Dunn. What's ironic is he was one of the youngest men in dad's army but he was playing the oldest man in dad's army and clive dunn had quite the 70s and 80s as he went on to do his own children's comedy show called granddad that even got i believe it was a number one hit granddad i love you which i remember listening to with no sense of irony with my friend tim so there we go Just another thing on, you know, so I, I love the women, Madeline Kahn and I'm going to say Liz Lemon now because I've completely forgotten the name of the writer and actress who, and comedian who plays her. Tina Fey, that's her name. Those two women are my favourite comedy actresses because, again, they will do literally anything. They will happily be as ridiculous as possible to try and get the last. So let's just get the ladies in there as well, okay? So you got... Clive Dunn, you got John Lemezier, you got Arthur Lowe, and you get sort of catchphrases like Captain Mannering would occasionally say, You stupid bum. Which was just a catchphrase that was around for decades afterwards. And what I'm going to say is when uh, Greg put in the theme tune, Who Do You Think You're Kidding, Mr. Hitler? It's sung in a very... It, you, you can just tell that this is a propaganda song from the 1940s. But it's not! It was written by Jimmy Perry, Jim Perry, who was the right, one of the writers, as I mentioned earlier. So this was written in 1968 for a specific TV show. That kind of blows my mind, because as soon as you hear it, you think 1940s. This was recorded the same year the Beatles recorded Sgt. Pepper's. If you think, again, like with their comedy and how it sort of like transcended all the trends... They also recognised if they did something sort of two Rolling Stones, two Beatles, two Kinks or whatever, it would be a big hit with everybody. That's what everybody was listening to back in 1968 and was still sounding good in the 70s as well. But that's not what they would have listened to in 1940. So they actually created a completely fabricated 1940s propaganda song. Absolute genius there. I just take my hat off to them. It's just another example of the effort that they put into looking effortless, basically. And in essence, what you get in Dad's Army 
while you've got that effort, at the same time, it's a comedy show first and foremost. They get loads of things wrong. And because of a lower low and it ain't our fault, mum, and dad's army, it's led to certain cliches about certain institutions during World War II. It's the same with like Blackadder and World War I. It was always a comedy first. It was not meant to trying to be doing a historically accurate depiction of the trenches of World War I, but it's further, re it's a way that teachers quite often introduce the topic of World War I and it's like, no, everything's wrong. It's deliberately wrong because it's a comedy. And it's the same thing here. So you tend to think of Dad's Army as a bunch of harmless, bumbling buffoons, poorly equipped, never saw any action, never fired a gun in anger or anything like that. And actually, the real home guard was very, very different. I'm coming on to them in a moment, but I will tell you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The absolute classic episode that gets shown again and again, because, you know, we all know that Britain didn't ultimately get invaded by Germany, at least anywhere other than Jersey and, and the uh, Channel Islands. But anyway. So there is an episode where they manage to capture a U-boat crew. And you then got an opportunity to just have some fun with this when they've actually got some enemy in front of them. And basically, Captain Mannering is just as officious and bureaucratic as the U-boat commander. 
and the two of them play off each other better and better. And basically, the U-boat commander, he's also sort of like taking down names to try. So, okay, so when we win the war, it's like, you're not going to win the war. And, but, you know, something like this could have happened, if you like. It didn't in the war. But it, it's sort of a what-if that's kind of fun. But the best line is... And when we win the war, you will be brought to account. Right, what you like. You're not going to win this war. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> Whistle while you work. Hitler is a twerk. He's half army, so's his army. Whistle while you... Your name will also go on the list. <laughs> what is it? Don't tell him, Pike. Pike. <laughs> and it's just, it's just brilliant comedy timing. And it's the sort of thing that sort of gets everybody rolling in the aisles. And, and this is the point. The whole thing is it's like we want to do gags. We don't want to do absolutely historical documentary type footage of the Home Guard circa 1940 to 1944. That's for me to do, to sort of tell you where it gets wrong. But if you like, if all you know, with no context to World War II, Dad's army looks kind of fun. I'd kind of like to join up. And indeed, it is worth pointing out that, you know, me and my friends, we've, we've sort of discussed the should you sign up and things like that at various points in our life and it's like what would it be like with conscription etc as i said in one of my earlier episodes this year i turn 50 this year okay i would be in dad's army i would not be frontline infantry i'm too old i don't feel old but then when you look at what a 19 year old's capable of it's like yeah i, I probably can't do that i mean i could certainly in theory man a machine gun position i'm sure somebody of almost any age could do that but that's not what they want they want you to be able to run fast and other things and it's like oof, that sounds like quite a lot of effort so yeah i would be a member of dad's army It'd be interesting to see if anybody else would be basically it was age 17 because when you were 18 you could join up formally anything younger than that would not be acceptable up to the age of 41 so 18 to 41, you could join the British Army in World War II. So if you're 40, if you're 17, or if you're 42 or older, up to the age of, I think it was 61, it could have been slightly older than that. But the thing is, though, nobody was enforcing it. Anybody could sort of, like, sign up and, and do stuff. And the reality is, of course, if we're, if we're talking about somebody who's, let's say, 50 in 1940, they probably served in World War I. So there were actually hundreds of thousands of veterans who couldn't fight in the war but still absolutely wanted to help out in the war effort and you get that element in dad's army indeed going back to clive dunn's character corporal jones he had clearly served in the imperial forces you know around about 1900 or something and had clearly been in in various colonial fights and uses again what could only be described as racist or insensitive language, referring to the fuzzy wuzzies, or they don't like it up on, and things like that. Apologies, I'm not trying to sort of offend anybody here, but it's just, it's just. hopefully I can, you know, I'm, I'm putting this into context of what was in the show. It's certainly not my opinion on any other kind of ethnicities or different cultures. But my point here is that it's like, you know, does everything age like fine wine? No. It's, it's, it's like, even if you get the right on political comedy from the 1970s all they're doing is making references to politicians who are probably dead now and it's like I, I don't get what that joke is and sometimes people say things that they're right on in the 1970s but it hasn't aged well for another reason because we've now moved on in another area of life and it's the same thing here 
It's like, I'm going to say that what they're saying is probably pretty accurate to the 1940s, but it's kind of uncomfortable for us to listen to 80 years on. Right, so that's the show. Hopefully I've proven to you that there's a lot going on with that show, and it was never meant to offend. It was never meant to be edgy. It was meant to be the most safe, simple comedy around, and I would recommend, if you've never seen Dad's Army, watch a couple of episodes. If you want to understand British culture and you're not from British culture, or indeed if you want to understand British culture from a generation ago, it's a really good place to start. It's a really, because it's sort of poking fun at Britain, but also kind of being proud of Britain's achievements and things like that. So now let's actually talk about the real Home Guard, who also had the name Local Defence Volunteers. This largely ran from 1940, because of everything I said about the political situation and military situation in the summer of 1940, up until 1944, when of course we get the D-Day landings, and at which point the fighting's not going to be coming back to Britain anytime soon. What's interesting though is it wasn't formally demobilised and sort of disbanded until December 31st, 1945 months after the end of all of the war and like eight months after the end of the war in Europe I guess somebody just forgot about it and just went okay quickly let's sign it off in the same year the war ended at least and at its peak it had 1.5 million volunteers that's how seriously people took it and here's where we get the reality of it the idea was that it was there for several very serious, very dangerous things, which evolved over time, but principally in the event of an invasion, everybody knew that these would not be as well-trained or well-equipped as the regular army. So what they could do is they could be pushed in to some part of the front to slow down the enemy and allow the main army to regroup. They were pretty much the definition of cannon fodder, and 1.5 million men signed up to be part of that exercise it shows you how much people you can put aside all the politics and religious views or whatever it is this is my country and my family that's under threat i will defend it and we're seeing that kind of now in ukraine obviously as well so that was what was going on it was also recognized that these people you know would not be very mobile they wouldn't be on like tanks or anything like that or trucks so the idea was that it was to be defense in depth what does that mean Well, if I've got a really cool trench line with a machine gun on it, that can be a formidable obstacle to overcome. Problem with that is once I get past it, there's nothing behind me apart from green fields. But if every little town or hamlet has like a machine gun nest, has sort of a hideaway for snipers, and at least one member of each local group had to be a marksman, and was given a special rifle over the years. It took a while to sort of like get set, hand them out to basically be a person who could sort of like take out maybe officers or targets of potential high value. Suddenly I'm not talking about fun anymore. I'm talking about real serious combat where they would have received extremely heavy casualties. The other thing that they were meant to do, there was a subgroup within the volunteers who weren't to talk to anybody else about it, but these people were to be saboteurs in the event of the actual capitulation of Britain. More than 600 little hideaway secret bunkers were dug for these people to basically squirrel themselves away with, 
basic maybe they had a radio maybe not at the beginning 1940 not everybody had a gun and not everybody had a not every unit had a radio but these people over over time were given those things and here's the tough thing they were there to assassinate either german officers people of high value in the local area or collaborators so I might have been friends with you for 15 years. You might have been my local greengrocer. But if you're supplying the Germans and suddenly going very chummy with the Schutzstaffel, I will murder you in your bed that night. And I'm doing it for, for Britain. Cold, harsh stuff. And these ones, the sort of sabotage units inside of the overall home guard, their expectation was they might, might last a week or two. But they might again cause enough disruption to allow perhaps a sort of like a reconstitution of the British Army far north in the, you know, the border regions with Scotland or something like that, just far enough away that we can, you know, hopefully perhaps repurpose the army and push back down into the south again. This is all pretty serious, pretty harsh stuff that genuinely happened. What actually happened, and this is where I said that, you know, they never fired a gun and, you know, it wasn't particularly dangerous, is they actually spent quite a lot of time dealing with things like anti-aircraft guns elements like that so during the blitz yes there were the wardens and there is sort of like the nemesis the mild nemesis in dad's army is the air raid warden and he's got his authority and captain mannering's got his authority and they keep butting up against each other this whole thing about like titles and power and entitlement very important in british comedy there so they weren't air raid wardens that was something else but literally you know who's manning the anti-aircraft guns during the blitz the answer is it's the home guard. They fired hundreds of thousands of rounds in anger, trying to make a real genuine difference to Britain. They shot down dozens of German aircraft. And also, later on in the war, in 1944, we get the V-1 bombs, and the home guard are known to have shot down multiple V-1s. And into a total of 1,200 battalions. That's huge. And in total, over the war, a total of 1,206 members of the Home Guard, the, you know, the Dad's Army, if you like, the local defence volunteers died. This would largely be through bombing to do with the Blitz or, you know, Luftwaffe attacks, etc. So, you know, 1,200 out of 1 1.4 million, obviously that's, you know, not a huge amount statistically or in terms of percentage wise but certainly it's a sobering thought when we think that oh, all they did was roll around and have fun and get into silly arguments actually it was a lot more serious than that but dad's army's a lot of fun okay i also want to take it another step further what would it have been like if that dad's army the, the home guard if they were actually being forced to fight well, we can answer that because Germany did get invaded and you did get Goebbels creating the Volkstrom and creating this sort of like propaganda where you've got to defend the, the fatherland. And again, like in Britain, there were millions of Germans who did sign up to actually fight in the Volkstrom. The goal was always to get to six million. By now we're seeing the collapse of the Third Reich, so we don't have exact numbers. Four million would be a good guess. And what was it like? Well, to give you an idea, out of that 4 million-ish, they had 43,000 rifles and submachine guns. Submachine guns would have only been a couple of thousand. Everything else was sort of bolt-action rifles that some of those men would have used in World War One. 
you know, you've had 50 years of evolution and change. That's it's an exaggeration. I should say 25 years of evolution and change. And you've been told for a decade by the Nazi party that Germany's best and technologically advanced. And now you're being handed a rifle that was already a bit old when it was being used in World War One. No, like the Gewehr 98 is a very good bolt action rifle. It works every time. But it's like you would expect something better than that. And the casualty rates of the Volkstrom were colossal. I'm sorry to say that there were thousands, tens of thousands of these men died. There are images of them. There was literally a form of, of, of a one-use bazooka. Panzerschrecks and Panzerfausts, basically. Yeah, one was a, a, a reloadable bazooka and the other one was a one-and-done. One and there is literally, sadly, photos of old men and young boys on bicycles with uh, two of these things strapped to the front of them. Now, this was not the idea to fire it from a bicycle, but basically you'll cycle up to the enemy tanks and then fire one of the, you know, get off and then fire it. What chance does a 60-year-old man with a one-use bazooka with arthritis, who's also on minor rations, got against, you know, an armoured division of the US Army? As I said, there was this harsh reality with the home guard of the fact that you guys are going to have to do defense in depth you're going to have to do holding actions and you're basically there to slow down the enemy so that we have a chance to regroup and as i said that's a pretty sobering serious thing to say and unfortunately that's actually happened in germany and it led to even higher casualty rates in the last couple of months of the death throes of the third reich you know, in, in the battle for Berlin, of which that was only between Soviet forces and the Wehrmacht and SS uh, units as well, there were also, you know, 100,000 or more members of the Volkstrom dashing amongst the rubble as well. There was even, you know, we all know about the MP40, that classic metal machine gun that you all know, and basically bad guys always use in movies, particularly in the early James Bonds and things like that. That's kind of the bad guy machine gun. It was an extremely effective submachine gun that was created you know for the german army but by the end of the war they'd also had the very first assault rifle was invented by the german army but by 1945 they didn't have the resources to build those things anymore and so you've now got a return to the kind of part wooden part metal type machine gun which actually had volkstrom stamped on it as well and unsurprisingly because it was made in essence, out of scraps in the sort of twilight of Hitler's experiment that cost 60 million lives. You know, it jammed. It was the least reliable German firearm that was produced in World War II. So with all of that in mind, you can see that where Dad's army, as I was sort of saying with a lot of love and fun, you know, that may be a national institution. But on the other hand, it's actually portraying something much darker. And if you start, if you start squinting at it, you realize there is something kind of more important to be said there. If you'd like to know more about Volkstrom, or indeed Panzerfausts, the German bazookas, I actually go into it a fair bit in a part of my book, Silent Crossroads, which is available as an ebook. It is my first audio book and available as like a regular book book on Amazon. It's something that I had to self-publish. It is a historical novel that covers both World War I and World War II, so if you'd like a bit more wrapped up inside of both a war and family drama, Silent Crossroads, you might want to check it out. Thanks very much.
I want to be clear about when I'm sort of talking about the death of the Volkstrom. I, I think we should all have empathy for what was going on in Germany in 1945 because it was being torn to pieces on all sides and from above as well. And, you know, to millions of regular Germans who weren't even members of the Nazi party, their houses were being destroyed. They were close to starvation. There was anarchy on the streets and their government was getting more panicky, which meant even more aggressive towards them. So I think we need to have empathy about that. We need to understand that that was a tough time. But I'm not sure we should have sympathy because, uh, you know, Germany started it and the Nazis are definitely the bad guys here. So it's a complicated story, which is lightly glossed over if you look at it from the British perspective. As always, I'm going to say this right now. Please click subscribe. If you could give us a review on whatever podcasting app you're listening to, really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And as I always say, if you could actually tell another human being, that would be great. Is hey, I'm enjoying this podcast. Lots of different and unusual stuff. Thank you very much. And, and look, for some reason, if you've just come onto this one for Dad's Army, as I said at the beginning, I take a piece of pop culture and reveal the real history behind it. So, you know, I do movies. I do TV shows. I do pop songs. I do video games. I've even done one on Lego. So toys even get sometimes mentioned. Food as well. All kinds of weird and wonderful things. It's one of these things where... Even if you don't know the pop culture, you might just enjoy the history. And if you do know the pop culture really well, you might be surprised by the history underneath it. So, yeah, I do my best to try and keep things entertaining. And as always, I would say I, I've actually gone back and watched it. All of these are of their time. It Ain't Our Fault Mum is very hard to find. And I think that there are good reasons for that. I think Dad's Army is just a British classic for better or for worse, but it's very reflective of, of its society. But Aloha is the one I've got the softest spot for because that's the first one I really remember watching from the beginning and also realising new episodes were coming out as opposed to all the repeats of Dad's Army. So, love to get your thoughts. I'm at Jem Deducher on Twitter. Uh, if you've got any suggestions, I'm doing two of these a week now, so I could always do with some more suggestions. Thank you very much. But also, I'd love to know what you think of certain episodes. You know, did you think I was being fair? Is there anything to add? Do you enjoy Dad's Army? Did you see the 2016 film? It wasn't a big hit, but I mean, it was a mild hit for the Grey Pound, as it's called. Anyway, that's it. And as always, another episode coming soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 